Let's kick it off again on the Rural Radio Network. It's the program we call Midday. Glad to have you join us here today. In the middle part of your day, we fit in all kinds of information for you. And we have it stacked up for you here in a preview we call the Roundtable. Over on the left side of the Roundtable. We always start with Joe Gangrish. Is that on the left side of your radio? It is. Uh, I was going to stage say. right, stage left. Uh, I heard a new way to put that here recently, and I thought it was very good. Was and it? I was going to save it for the fall, but I'll break it out now. It said if you were looking uh, left side of your radio, left side of your phone, or left side of your app. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Just include all three. Absolutely. That's right. Okay. We got it stacked up like cordwood, as you said. The material is stacked today. So let her rip. Abengoa Biofuels, they are fighting in the Department of Justice over tax dollars on an abandoned project that they had in that uh, Hugoton, Kansas project that they had sold to someone else. So that's become a legal battle. We'll have more in Ag News at 12.13. U.S. trade officials will visit China coming up here uh, the next first week of June. They'll establish beef trade protocols with that country and a new wheat production system developed in Colorado. That will help combat weeds. Uh, Dewey Nelson is live with Mike Zuzalo at 1219. They'll discuss market activity from today at that time. Brandon Bennett has our newsmaker today, who is Kent Rollins from the Red River Ranch in Oklahoma. He's uh, got a good deal of notoriety here the last few years, cooking for cowboys at working ranches out in the back of his 1876 Studebaker chuck wagon. I didn't know they made Studebakers in 1876. But he uh, will be in Nebraska this weekend helping out uh, at the Cattleman's Ball. So you can check him out there. And Brandon visits with him at 1245. I'll talk to Jay Rempe at 117, senior economist with Nebraska Farm Bureau. They are hosting the uh, first ever for them Agricultural Economic and Technology Summit. And we are a sponsor of that. That's coming up in Kearney June 13th and 14th. All right, very good. That's a Studebaker refers to a a wagon, like a chuck wagon. Chuck, yeah, yeah. It's, a, a, it's a Studebaker wagon before the cars. We need to see wagon. a picture of that. Yeah, very cool. I, All right, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> and and in fact, taste what's coming off the back of that thing too. He does some pretty good stuff. I guess maybe it uh, instead of fumes it. Uh, Exudes uh, barbecue sauce. Barbe- oh, maybe <laughs> <It worked>. so. <laughs> All right, here's uh, Jason Jorgensen on sports. Hey, uh, UNK Loper has been named All American Division II baseball. Just the fourth time that's ever happened. We'll tell you about Dallas Schramm. He is a native of Millard, Nebraska. Also, there have not been a whole lot of uh, highlights here of late for the Royals, but last night, maybe a glimpse of the future. Uh, rookie pitcher Eric Skoglund. Pitch six and a third scoreless innings to help the Royals knock off Detroit. He becomes the first Royals pitcher to win his Major League debut in 12 years. And for a team that's been reeling here for most of the season, they needed a good start out of him after Danny Duffy is headed to the uh, DL. And Lee Corso is coming back to ESPN. No! 81 years old. <laughs> They're trotting him out there for another season. <laughs> oh, my heavens. What's old is new again. Well, they've fired everybody else, yeah, haven't they? Exactly. So, I mean, who else is going to put on yeah. the head? You want to do something a little part-time there, Lee? Okay, it's time to get over to Bob Brogan. Stocks are slipping a little bit today. As we sit here, we hear them slipping. Pending home sales are falling, and an official says Trump plans to pull the U.S. from the Paris Climate Accord. Sort of. Well, that announcement on the way. It's all coming your way today on Midday. 
Paul Perkins is in to take a look at our regional ag weather. What have for us today? Well, we got some scattered thunderstorms. A lot of this activity is right along the front as it continues to lift to the northeast right now. These scattered thunderstorms continuing to dive southeast. Some disturbances right along a warm front that's lifting through the region right now. The broken, a very broken line of thunderstorms anywhere from Mullen and the Nebraska Sand Hills to around Broken Bow and Lexington down to near the Holdridge area to right near the Superior area and also over central and east portions of Kansas from Concordia down to around Manhattan and Topeka. Those disturbances continuing to glide to the southeast to give us those scattered thunderstorm chances. Weather Watch being brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation and looking ahead, we're kind of in and out of this same sort of pattern, aren't we? Exactly, yeah. We're going to see a couple of dry days and then another chance of some scattered thunderstorms by the end of the week and right now maybe some of those thunderstorms producing some small hail just in the north of Holdridge and also to the south of Manhattan in Kansas. So a few of these storms severe, but not expecting a big severe outbreak. A warm front lifting north to continue a warming trend to the end of the week and also into the weekend. A ridge of high pressure will keep us dry for tomorrow and most of Friday, but then some scattered thunderstorms are again possible late Friday and Friday night as the front drops to the southeast. But that front having little effect on our temperatures over the weekend. Some of those storms on Friday and Friday night could be strong or severe, but once again, not expecting any widespread severe activity, and we are in the pretty much the height of the severe weather season right now. Temperatures over the weekend will remain a little warmer than normal as that high-pressure ridge starts to move overhead for a dry pattern over the weekend. Early next week, though, that high-pressure ridge gives way for a better chance at some thunderstorms. That is reflected in our long-term forecast, the Long-term forecast predicting Nebraska and Kansas temperatures to hover around near normal to below normal Monday through June 13th. The greater chances of being cooler than normal will be in the eastern areas of Nebraska and Kansas. The precipitation outlook for Nebraska and Kansas expecting near normal to above normal precipitation Monday through the 13th. Soil temperatures at the 4-inch depth at 7 this morning. In the low and mid-50s around North Platte and Ogallala and pretty much the northern half of Nebraska. In south-central and southeast Nebraska and all other areas south of I-80 into the northern third of Kansas. So soil temperatures in the upper half of the 50s. The warmest soil temperatures in the low 60s were found south of I-70 in Kansas. In the markets today, weather factors include cool Midwest conditions hindering crop development and rain threatening the wheat harvest quality in the southern plains. Much of the nation will experience a gradual warming trend over the next few days. Cool conditions, though, will linger through the end of the week in the Great Lakes and Northeast. An active rainy weather pattern will, <coughs> excuse me, an active rainy pattern will persist in many areas with the rain intensifying late in the week across the eastern half of the U.S. Periods of rain and mostly cool conditions in the Midwest will persist over the next week and that will be unfavorable for their row crop development. Much of the south and east Midwest has received two to three times the normal average in precipitation this month. Soybean planting ranges from 12 to 21 percentage points behind the five-year average in states like Indiana, Michigan, Ohio, and Wisconsin. In the southern plains, increasing disease issues, deteriorating crop quality, and lower protein are expected for the winter wheat as additional rounds of cool and wet weather persist. Row crops and spring wheat in the northern plains will benefit as temperatures warm back to seasonal levels in the northern plains. Those temperatures cool to the low 30s in parts of the Dakotas this morning. They have some frost advisories in a few areas. There will be some delays in final planting in the delta and southeast with moderate to heavy thunderstorms in their forecast through the end of the week. The Canadian prairies will be dry during 
uh, the drive for a while uh, to help out with their late harvest and planting in the western sectors. Eastern sectors of the Canadian prairies, though, need some rain and precipitation later this week. Looks to focus over the western areas of those Canadian prairies. AgWeather brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, and you can get more information, of course, from your Holdridge Irrigation locations. Uh, looks like the throat frogs are out again, yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, good old allergy season at the height of it, too, on that. And until the air conditioner is on all the time, probably going to be a problem. <laughs> we are all experiencing that. Yep. It's like dry as a bone sometimes. Yeah. But, all right, in and out of some showers. Not too bad. Pretty typical for uh, early summer weather. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Uh, rather typical. We're just not getting the severe weather we usually get this time of year, which is probably a good thing. All right. Well, we'll go with it for now. Thank you very much, Paul. And when you need weather anytime, krvn.com. Several U.S. trade officials will travel to China next month. They will finalize trade protocols regarding coming U.S. beef shipments to China. This is a look at ag information on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Joe Gangwish. Source verification going to be one of the requirements, according to Oklahoma State University Extension Livestock Marketing Specialist Daryl Peel. He says he thinks it's pretty doable in the system if they can document the original source of the cattle as well as where they ended up at the processing plant and not necessarily all of the travels in between. Beijing has accepted a U.S. proposal in principle that would require producers to document the locations where cattle raised for beef were exported to China are born and slaughtered and USDA also said the system would be less onerous than tracking cattle throughout their entire lives, during which they can be kept at uh, up to four different locations. Peel estimated that U.S. producers trace the movements of less than 20% of the nation's cattle. China will also require that beef be free from residue of the growth-promoting feed additives. He says the Chinese have been very consistent in both beef and pork at not accepting ractopamine or in beef. Optiflex is the same product. He says that's likely to be the case for us as well. He says that would be consistent with their agreements with other countries. A key U.S. ag and trade senator says the White House effort to modernize the North America Free Trade Agreement, that would yield a path for the U.S. to reenter the Trans-Pacific Partnership Agreement or at least do bilateral deals in Asia with Japan and others. Senator Chuck Grassley this week uh, he mentioned that uh, he agrees with USDA uh, Secretary Sonny Perdue that new NAFTA negotiations could help salvage TPP gains in a trilateral NAFTA-Asia trade effort. Grassley sees a connection between TPP and NAFTA. So if there's any changes in NAFTA that make it a little bit different from TPP, and those changes were acceptable to the other nations uh, in TPP, it's possible that TPP could be changed and the United States would rejoin it and get it passed. However, Grassley cautions he doesn't know enough to say that prospect is realistic, but there's plenty to suggest that NAFTA could become a benchmark for Asian trade efforts. After the White House recently notified Congress it started NAFTA talks and wants to update the North American Free Trade Agreement. A new wheat production system now available to farmers in North America thanks to the collaboration of the Colorado Wheat Research Foundation, also Alba LLC, and Lima Grain Cereal Seeds LLC. Coaxium is a targeted technology platform that combines a new patented herbicide-tolerant trait and elite germplasm together with herbicide brands and best-in-class stewardship. That's according to the collaborators. Mark Lineber is president of the Colorado Wheat 
Wheat Research Foundation and a farmer from Byers, Colorado. He says this new technology was asked for and is owned by Colorado wheat farmers. He says several years ago, the wheat producers of Colorado approached Colorado State looking for a new solution to combat the grassy weed problems faced by wheat growers each year. Not only uh, did it have to work better than what was commercially available, but he also says it had to be cost effective. He says coaxium wheat production system will deliver on that vision. And Spain's renewable energy giant Abengoa SA is fighting the U.S. Department of Energy's effort to recover federal tax dollars that helped construct an $850 million ethanol plant and neighboring electricity plant in Kansas. Uh, in court papers, lawyers for Abengoa Bioenergy of Kansas uh, said the U.S. government isn't entitled to collect money for chipping in $95 million toward construction costs back in 2007. More on that story at RuralRadio.com. We're seeing some gains in the corn market today. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network. Now, they've come off their highs. Same thing for soybeans and wheat. We're talking with Mike Zuzalo of Global Commodity Analytics. Mike, explain to us the crop conditions summary from yesterday and what it meant for the market today. Well, I think it was the big news story, Dewey, heading into Tuesday's trade because we got state-by-state numbers, and for the first time all year long for many states, and the market now knows what's going on at this point. So that's kind of the frame of reference we're working from. But believe it or not, I think the wheat conditions were much more price-friendly then the corn conditions, even though the corn conditions, I think, were friendly. But six of the eight primary states the market's watching right now show a significant reduction in good to excellent conditions versus where we were last year. Nebraska is a standout at 76% good to excellent right now compared to 72% last year. But you've got states like Wisconsin, Kentucky, and South Dakota also on the periphery that the trade's watching, but the Illinois, Minnesota, Iowa, Indiana, Ohio, Missouri, Kansas, Nebraska states are the biggies. But spring wheat conditions came in 62% good to excellent, below the lowest trade guess. Winter wheat came in at 50% good to excellent, below the lowest trade or right at the lowest trade guess. So corn needs the help of the wheat if we're going to break through that 396 trading range ban, in my opinion. In the near term, can we see December corn based on maybe mostly weather conditions, start to rally above $4, uh, maybe medium term? I, I don't think we will if we continue to see pressure in the crude oil, which is down 25 to 3.5% today. If we see a window of five days of a warmer, drier pattern, which the models are showing in uh, the next week after this coming weekend. And again, going back to the wheat, the wheat to me is the canary in the commodity coal mine, Dewey. If you're going to go higher, it needs to be now in the wheat. But the problem with the wheat is you've got harvest pressure coming and, you know, starting already, but even coming more and more as we get uh, more fired up here in Kansas and in your state of Nebraska. We're talking with Mike Zuzlow of Global Commodity Analytics, looking northward in Canada. There was a story out that they think canola acreage this year will be more than spring wheat acreage? That's exactly right. Uh, Canadians are looking at at least a 5% cut in their spring wheat acreage. And here again, this is where the bull is fed in the wheat market because not only Canada and Saskatchewan and Manitoba, but also you can carry that down south into our own country. I think Idaho is looking at double-digit reductions in terms of spring wheat acreage. And so if we're going to have a weaker dollar and we're going to have these kind of supply issues in the northern hemisphere and you've still got wheat issues unresolved in Europe, then you should have the wheat market doing a lot better 
than steady in the hard red wheat right now. Will there be fun buying back into the market starting a new month tomorrow? I doubt that, Dewey. I mean, it's always a possibility because, as you say, it is a change in the calendar. But I think the way this market is acting right now, they're playing more, I think, the crop seasonals, i.e. the harvest, planting progress. And obviously the bond markets are going to be and continue to be a big, big issue. Keep in mind the Federal Reserve will be coming out with their expected June rate hike soon after we get our June crop report. Well, good support coming in the cattle and hog futures. Very nice. And you know what? For a change, it has been led by the cattle, or excuse me, by the hogs, and then it was followed up with a nice, strong surge in the feeder cattle. And this is on a 2% higher day in the corn market. I am surprised by the strength in the feeder cattle market right now. Talked to one of the news wires this morning. I'm wondering whether NAFTA and maybe a little bit less pressure from NAFTA is bringing some longs back into this livestock market. Thanks, Mike. Mike Zuzalo, Global Commodity Analytics. Midday on the Rural Radio Network. Time to check sports and Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Dirk. Well, in a season of what's been disappointment, rookie Eric Skoglin was a bright spot last night for the Royals. He pitched six and a third innings of two-hit ball in his Major League debut, helping the Royals knock off Justin Verlander and the Tigers one to nothing. Skoglin, a 2014 third-round draft pick out of Central Florida, struck out five and walked just one. The lefty had just been promoted from AAA Omaha after the Royals placed Danny Duffy on the disabled list. Manager Ned Yost was impressed. I thought he did an exceptional job. I mean, six and a third innings, two hits. Really impressive, his confidence and composure coming into this game. You know, when he came in, I asked Dave how he looked. He said he looked great. He said he's got confidence. He's got, you know, he's got a good routine, and uh, we felt good about him going out there. So, you know, uh, we talked about it earlier. We didn't get a chance to see him in spring training, so we were excited to see him tonight, and he didn't disappoint. Kelvin Herrera pitched the ninth for his 12th save and 14 opportunities. UNK junior Dallas Schramm has been tabbed a first-team All-American designated hitter by the American Baseball Coaches Association. Now a committee of Division II head coaches from around the country select the team with players having to be named first-team All-Region to even make the national ballot. Schramm, who's a native of Millard, is just a fourth loper baseball player to ever earn first team all-american honors he started all 49 games this year for the lopers and hit 356 with 20 doubles 13 homers and 53 runs driven in espn has agreed to a multi-year contract extension with lee corso the 81 year old star of college game day Corso joined ESPN in 1987 and has been a part of the popular college football Saturday preview show ever since. His headgear game predictions, off-the-cuff analysis, and signature line, not so fast, my friend, have endeared him to generations of college football fans. Now, the headgear pick started in 1996 when Corso donned the head of Ohio State's Brutus Buckeye before a game in Columbus with Penn State. He is on target to make his 300th headgear pick during week six of the upcoming season. The Penguins take a one nothing lead over Nashville into Game 2 of the Stanley Cup Finals tonight. The Penguins edge the Predators 5-3 to in Game 1. Of note, the Predators haven't dropped consecutive games this postseason. And three American women and two American men have advanced to the third round of the French Open. Venus Williams advanced today. On the men's side of things, Steve Johnson has made the third round along with John Eisner. That is a look at sports. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network.
Partly cloudy with a chance of thunderstorms through the night tonight in Nebraska. I'm Dave Schroeder with a check of news. Authorities are investigating the death of an Iowa man who'd been canoeing on the Niobrara River in northern Nebraska. Kippaha County Attorney Eric Scott said that 68-year-old Gary Kaufman was pronounced dead on the scene Saturday after being removed from the water near Norden. Kaufman lived in Fort Dodge, Iowa. Scott says Kaufman had been canoeing with a group. The attorney also says the circumstances leading up to Kaufman's death remain unclear, but there's no indication that any crime was involved. No autopsy has been ordered. The Nebraska Department of Roads has partnered with Nebraska Game and Parks on a Cowboy Trail project in northeast Nebraska. District 3 engineer Kevin Dombagala. We're helping Game and Parks with a pollinator habitat restoration project along the Cowboy Trail in Highway 275 west of Norfolk. They plan to plant about 80 acres per year over the next three years of native grasses and wildflowers to provide habitat and a food source for pollinators such as butterflies and honeybees. Damagala says the project is being funded through a grant from the Game and Parks, the lead agency. Nebraska authorities are awaiting the return of an Omaha homicide suspect from Colorado. Authorities say 31-year-old Antoine Johnson was taken into custody Monday in Denver. An Omaha police spokesman said that Johnson's not expected back until next week following extradition procedures. Johnson suspected of shooting Trent Stuthite on April 16th in an apartment complex parking lot. An Iowa State Extension Administrator has been named president of Scott Community College. Lynn Cochran will be replacing Teresa Paper, who is retiring. Cochran is an Iowa State Extension Assistant Vice President for Organizational Development, a job she's held since 2013. She's also lectures at Drake University and Iowa State in qualitative research methodology. Scott Community College's enrollment last fall was more than 4,500 students. Locations include the main campus in Bettendorf. After 16 years of planning, the longest biking and hiking trail in Kansas is open for public use. Although some spots are still a bit rough, the Flint Hills Nature Trail is currently 90 miles long, and it could expand to 117 miles in the future. Bikers and hikers can see native grasses, wildflowers, tunnels of trees, bridges, streams, and a section of hardwood forest. You can go to our website for more news at krvn.com and reporting from the KRVN News Center. I'm Dave Schroeder. Brandon Bennett's with the Rural Radio Network talking with Kent Rollins with the Red River Ranch. You may have seen his YouTube videos or even seen him on network TV. You'll see him, his wife, his stove Bertha, and of course his 1876 Studebaker chuck wagon coming up this weekend at the Nebraska Cattlemen's Ball. Mr. Rollins, why don't you give us a little bit about your background and how you got started on the Red River Ranch and coming to Nebraska. Thank you, Brandon. And uh, most of all, I tell people wherever I go, if it wasn't for rural America, the rest of them would starve to death. I was raised rural, ranching cowboy and little farming, and took great pride and still do in, in the rural values that the people have set across from east to west and north to south, because I think rural people do have some of the greatest values in the world, and, and they work hard to get a product for other people. But uh, I was raised by two loving parents uh, along the banks of the Red River in the southwest corner of Oklahoma near Hollis. And uh, it was uh, a deal to where we never had much, but my mother and dad made us feel like we were rich. We were rich in love and rich in tradition. And uh, my mother is the one really that inspired me. Look, I, I would see her get in that kitchen when I was 
seven, eight years old and create something out of nearly nothing. And uh, I often told her, I said, Mama, one day I, w- I want to grow up and I want to cook like you. And she told me I could start then. And I, I love to cook sometimes, especially in the winter, because it was warmer in the kitchen than it was out there feeding. But I didn't know I was going to have to wash dishes, Brendan. That was the drawback on the deal. And, uh, but it was it was a great thing to be able to uh, to learn from my mother and some of the old women that were in my community, as well as some of the old men, you know, that cooked. And uh, it's something that stuck a hold uh, for me for a long time. Uh Sort of got away from it for a while and worked on some ranches and then uh, guided some elk hunters in the 80s in the Gila wilderness and then just got me an old wagon and started cooking for ranches. And word got out from one thing to another and things began to happen a little faster than I thought they might. Uh, and next thing you know, TV called and it was uh, quite a few things from either QVC to Food Network to documentaries to a little everything. And, and I've been really blessed. So uh, I have a good time wherever I go. Speaking of wherever you go, it seems like every year you travel about 40,000 miles, feed about 20,000 people a year, all from the back of an 1876 Studebaker. Where did you find such a vehicle, and how do you always seem to be in the right place, feeding the right people at the right time? Well, I've seen a lot of wagons in uh, my life. You know, there was a lot of John Deere wagons in this country, some Peter Shuttlers. But an old man told me one time, he said, if you want to get a Cadillac of a wagon, he said, find you a Studebaker. Well, I'd looked and looked, and this one just sort of happened to fall out of the nest and get me in the hand, really, come off a ranch in Spurred, Texas, and was put back together, and then uh, finally got some of the documentation on it. It come out of a barn in Junction, Texas in 1876. It had been sort of put back together piece by piece, and uh, the only thing really that is really original on it now, I guess, would be the hubs and the undercarriage and, and the wheels uh, have been redone several times, but it, Studebaker was a very great company. They often had wagons at the White House. Abraham Lincoln had one. He took his last ride to Ford Theater in one of them. And when I got it, I knew I had something that was sort of what my daddy used to say, you got to have a little grit. Uh, It it had a lot of grit on it when we redone it, but it's something that has never let me down. I tell my little sweet wife, Shannon, there's three things I count on every day when I go and cook her, that wagon, and that old wood stove named Bertha. And we do, we'll drive 40,000 miles a year most of the time and feed 27,000, 28,000 people off the back of that wagon. And uh, it's a way that we get to pass on tradition and history. And uh, that's something that I, I love to do. And we still cook for some working ranches, and that's something that I won't give up. Brandon Bennett's with the Rural Radio Network, talking with Kent Rollins from the Red River Ranch. He is going to be right in the heart of KRVN Nation on the weekend of June 2nd and 3rd, helping out with the Nebraska Cattlemen's Ball. So, Kent, talk a little bit about your history with the Cattlemen's Ball. You were here last year. So what brings you to Anselmo? It really started about four years ago. We did a certified Angus beef shifter for some folks out of Worcester there, and uh, on a ranch in Kansas, and the next year they had us do it again, and it was in Princeton, Nebraska, and I was visiting with those good folks, and uh, they told me, they said, hey, we'd like for you to come do the Nebraska Cattlemen's Ball, just do some demonstrations, maybe show how to make some sourdough biscuits, and then do a little grilling demonstration on some good steak, and then maybe a dessert deal. So we were already booked that year, but they called the next year and got us, which was last year, and uh, it's a great thing. Uh, I always tell Shannon, I enjoy what I do so much, but when I get to do it with people that are rural and ranch, and uh, that's what Nebraska's about, you know, there's a lot of rural and ranch country up there to to be able to participate in, in the Cattlemen's Ball again this year is a privilege for us. 
Mr. Rollins, if people can't attend this year's Nebraska Cattlemen's Ball, there's other ways they can hook up with you. Not only your very own YouTube channel, but you also have a cookbook out. Yes, sir. Uh, Brandon, we, we had a cookbook come out two years ago, I guess, now it's been. And uh, when it came out, CBS Sunday Morning did a piece on us, and I was on a ranch that day that it came out down west of San Angelo, Texas, a little place about 173,000 acres for three weeks, feeding cowboys. And Shannon called me and she said, I have really good news. And I said, what's that? She said, we're the number two book on Amazon. And I said, cookbook? She said, no, all books. And I said, is that good? She said, yeah, they got a lot of them. I said, how many? She said, eight million. I said, well, that is good. She said, you're ahead of Harry Potter. I said, is he a cook? She said, never mind. And we'll, we'll talk about that later, brother. People can order directly from our website, or they can go to Amazon or any major bookstore most of the time and get one. But uh, I just going to check out our YouTube channel. We have some stuff coming up this next week that will be out on the Food Network, so people can catch it there every once in a while. But uh, we'd love for them to have a cookbook. It's more than just a cookbook. It's something that will feed your heart and your soul. That was Kent Rollins with the Red River Ranch. You'll see him, his wife, his stove Bertha, and of course his 1876 Studebaker chuck wagon coming up this weekend at the Nebraska Cattlemen's Ball. With the Rural Radio Network, this is Brandon Bennett. Next we talk with Joe Teal at Great Plains Commodities, and we had another triple-digit rally in the uh, live cattle, feeder cattle, and the lean hogs today. What's your assessment? Well... Starting out with the cattle, I think uh, the auctions went pretty well, and uh, uh, 132 uh, plus, and uh, it, it's hard to argue when you're sitting at 124.42 at the close that, uh, hey, we have a, a pretty good gap there, uh, and uh, uh, there wasn't much uh, thing around that was very negative, and uh, so up we go haven't changed much we're still range bound uh but uh the volatility remains we still have triple digit moves on a daily basis so uh i would have to say it ends up being a positive day but uh, like i said we have not broken out of that trading range in the futures now if cash continues to remain firm uh we'll see what happens but uh, all in all today pretty good uh, pretty good day the feeders uh, up sharply too, and that's uh, despite the fact that corn turned around today and went higher. So, uh, a pretty good day in there. Over in the hogs, uh, we have cash continuing to be uh, steady, firm. Cutouts are remaining uh, at fairly high levels, and uh, product movement is okay. So, uh, there's a lot of optimism right now. It looks as if though uh, our cash has been struggling here more so than in recent days so uh market getting now toward a little bit overbought i would probably see a little correction joe teal at great plains commodities call him at 800-328-0134 i'm dewey nelson i'm joe gangwish on the rural radio network with me on the line jay rempe senior economist with the Nebraska Farm Bureau. We're going to visit with Jay about the Agricultural Economic and Technology Summit that they have planned for June coming up in Kearney. And Jay, it's the first one for you. Tell us about this summit and, and putting it together. What did you want to achieve with that this year? Yeah, thanks, Joe. Yeah, it's 
as you mentioned, it is the first year that we're trying something like this. They have done it a little bit in some other states, so we thought, well, we'll, we'll take it and run with it here in Nebraska. But it's a partnership with uh, between Farm Bureau and the Departments of Ag Economics and Biological Systems Engineering at the university, and then uh, KRVN as well, too. And basically what we're trying to do, we understand that this is a terribly busy time of the year for farmers and ranchers and others involved in agriculture, but our thought was maybe we could hit that sweet spot in June when uh, maybe planting's done, they haven't started irrigating yet, and calving is done, and give the farmers and ranchers and others a chance to, to get away from their day-to-day operations and the headaches there and think a little bit about long-term, get some information about what's happening in the world in agriculture, learn some of the latest on some of the technologies that are out there that they may be aware of or heard of, but get a little more information on that and take that back to their operations and and, uh, use that for the rest of the year and and years in the future in terms of trying to manage their operation. Jay, let's get to who you've got coming in. Give us an idea of what we're going to talk about. You bet. And we got a couple themes going with it, Joe. And one is more the economic and the marketing side of things. And and on that, we've got uh, Michael Swanson, who's the chief ag economist from Wells Fargo, is going to come in and kind of give the latest on the global and domestic ag economy and what what the next few months and years look like in that. Of course, we we've got everyone's favorite Al Dutcher to come in and talk about what's what's ready for or going to happen in the rest of the growing season after this challenging spring we've had. Uh, we've got. Dr. Paul Janot, who is a visiting professor from the University of Florida that's going to talk about the future of the beef industry and, and what it's going to look like over the next 50 years. And, of course, when you think of Nebraska, that, that's beef. So that's kind of more on the marketing side. Uh, then we're going to have some breakout sessions on uh, commodity marketing, livestock marketing, and, and that kind of thing, and financial planning. But then on the technology side, we're going to really hit on on-the-farm technologies, data collection, how you can use that in management decisions. Uh, we have a gentleman, Jim Pollack, who's from a consultant in Colorado that's been around the ag technology for 10 or 15 years and, and on sensor technology and stuff. So going to really hit both sides of the, the economic side and the technology side. Tell us about the breakout sessions, Jay. Uh, why that format? What would you like to see accomplished? There are a couple of thoughts behind that, Joe. One is we bring in some pretty big-name speakers and talk a little bit about overarching big picture, kind of what's happening in the world, just to, to get outside and beyond Nebraska and, and our immediate farms and ranches. But then the breakout sessions are geared more towards, okay, what's some information or things that folks can use and take back to their operations? So, again, we're going to be talking about what's driving the livestock markets and the commodity markets. Uh, we're going to have a couple bankers talk about uh, what they're seeing and dealing with customers on on the farm and ranch and maybe some things people can take to to try to get through these financial challenging times. The idea is to be a little bit more on the ground uh, and give them some information with the breakout sessions that they can use. Once again, online you can go to nefb.org forward slash agecontech, that is A-G-E-C-O-N-T-E-C-H, or once again, the phone number 402-421-4760. Jay Rempe from Nebraska Farm Bureau with us talking about the upcoming Agricultural Economic and Technology Summit. That'll be in June in Kearney. I'm Joe Gangwish. Grain markets today, we saw the wheat falter towards the end of trading. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network. And with us is John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. Corn held its ground, though, today. 
It did. It did. It was a pretty decent day for corn. Obviously, that 395 level is just troubling for the December contract. That you know, high 370s, low 380s. That's going to be a real tough level for uh, that that old crop July corn to get through. I, I actually am kind of more believing now that the rally comes later in June uh, as we we approach that delivery period and, and find a little bit more about what yields are. Uh, the, the report yesterday was was certainly bullish. I think as far as the conditions go, but you got to remember it's it's still really early, and and you know we could essentially go sideways from here and have a pretty good crop at the, at the end of everything. It, you know, a lot of times you have a really good start to the year, you tend to see things get progressively worse and, and vice versa. When you have a really poor crop, things tend to kind of move towards the center. And, and we're basically starting in the center right now, even though we are, you know, worse off than we have been in the last four years. In the last decade, we're pretty much right in the middle of the range. Corn pulled wheat higher for a while, but something happened there towards the end of trading. Yeah, we had a, uh, the Egyptian tender came out today, so they they bought Another 180,000 metric tons off the world market, the world's biggest buyer paying for new crop somewhere around 210, $205 a metric ton. Now, that equates to kind of where we are here in bushels. Um, it's still about $20 where we are from the old crop. So I think that, that supports price, but to get some upward movement here, we really need to see the, the problems overseas, you know, confirm with higher prices. At this point, I feel like we've, we've done the job. Um, on the board, and now it's going to be about what protein is offered, protein discounts, and, and that. You look at Minneapolis contract trading, oh, up four and a half today. It did get up to a highest level we've seen on that contract since February. So, uh, all in all, I feel like there's there's some story here, but uh, again, I wouldn't get too bullish too quickly. I think we need to see some of this stuff actually come to fruition. And um, you know, the, the longs actually have built up a little bit of a position here uh, as the specs have covered. So again, I, I, I'd be buying breaks. I wouldn't be buying chasing the market above these levels. Did it appear that the drop in crude oil today hurt soybeans? I think that's probably fair to say. Beans have, have, a, have a tough road right now because the stories that are pushing corn are really going to be negative for soybeans. For me, it's not an acreage, it's not a yield story, it's an acreage story. And that acreage story is only going to benefit the soybean markets. I think that the weather here in the Midwest looks to be better over the next 10 days. And what we're really seeing, I think, is just an unwinding of the complex. So we're, we're at a carry market now. And I think, you know, we'll hit some lows here, but I, I expect those August lows around $9 to get tested at some point. Thanks, John. Go to DanielsAgMarketing.com for more information. With us was John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. I'm Dewey Nelson.